Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy! And a happy Mother's Day to you. My name is Kurt, and I'm a co-pastor here at Cascade. Um, first of all, happy Mother's Day to all of you. Uh, we know hopefully it can be an exciting day for you, a day of joy, um, but we know that it can actually bring on lots of different emotions. And so as we go through this morning, we're going to create space for lots of those different emotions. Um, and one of the kind of metaphors that we're using, as, especially as we're, we're kind of creating a new flow in the way that we do worship, so if this is your first time, uh, then this is, you know, it's just the way we do things. Uh, But if you've been here before, we're kind of shifting things. The goal of all of this is we're just trying to open up the space and create the space for us to see what is God doing? How is God present? And so uh, last week, we we kind of unveiled the totality of our liturgical flow. We had seven different movements, and we went through them pretty quickly. Um, And one bit of feedback that we got from folks is like, that was an emotional roller coaster. Like, that was so much. We're talking about like grief and sadness and shame and fear and joy and hope and like, come on, let's take a breath and take some time. Just to let you know, uh, the idea with that is we just wanted to share kind of the full scale of it, but it is not the plan or intention to do all of those every week at all. We want to kind of create more space for that. And the other encouragement to you is I think a lot of times in church, We feel like whatever the person up front is talking about, I have to listen and I have to engage with that thing. And I want you instead to think of what we're doing as um, we're kind of walking down a hallway. And not like a La Quinta Inn hallway or like the hallway from The Shining, but like a nice, well-lit, hospitable hallway. And as we go, we're going to open up some doors. And the hope with opening those doors is to say, what's going on with you? Who is God? And how are those things interacting? If that room that we open up, if that space we open up is where you need to be this morning, stay there. Enjoy it. We're going to open up some more doors in the hallway that might be the right thing for other people to engage, but don't feel pressure that you have to stop that thing to move on. Because you have full permission to say, I'm actually just going to sit in this space for the rest of the morning. Uh, So kind of hopefully that makes sense. The the first step that we're going to do this morning um, is we have kind of our opening is our invitation to presence. And as we are always in a present moment, we know that whatever work that God is doing or whatever thing is going on within us, and we believe that church is the meeting of other people, who we are and who God is kind of converging in one place. And the goal is that that convergence, we kind of carry it with us all the time. But an important step to doing that is actually to stop and to pause and to be present. So we have a little uh, visualization that's going to be up on the screen. And the visualization is just kind of a triangle that expands and then it heads back down. Um, And our invitation for you is to actually breathe along with the visualization. So if you would see it as your lungs expanding as the image expands, and then to exhale as it goes back and then to breathe in. And we want to do that just to be able to slow, to be present in this place, and to be kind of aware of our breath. The last thing I'll share with that in breath is something that um, I had an opportunity 
um, with Sarah, my co-pastor, and Scott, and a few others, we got to go and hear Father Rohr, Father Richard Rohr, if you're familiar. Um, and one of the things he was talking about was he was talking about the name of God, Yahweh, um, in the Torah. The Jewish people, this name, and that actually the name of God would have been the sound of breath. That the Yah would have been the inhale and the hue would be the exhale. And this wasn't incidental, but rather our very breath is being aware of the presence of God. It was the first time that I understood that New Testament where it's like, you should be never ceasing in your prayer life. And I was like, saying the name of God with every inhale and exhale, I got that. And so we want you to be present to your breath, not just because it's breath, but rather that the very presence of God is present in even that. So would you, as we join together, and be present to our breath and ourselves? So hopefully you feel grounded, present in this place. And as we are grounded and present, we want to, to move into a time uh, we call hospitality to grief and sadness. Um, and, and just a word about that, why we particularly use this, is we do a good job culturally of avoiding hard feelings and grief and sadness, which another way of um, acknowledging that is just uh, letting go of the tomorrow that we envisioned. It's kind of a good shorthand of grief and sadness. And I think it's an important distinction because there actually needs to be a kind of grief that comes into promotions and new exciting opportunities and moving into a new house or a new place or a new exciting relationship. Because there's a version of our reality that was true yesterday that won't be true tomorrow. And so we have to acknowledge that. We have to let go of that. That's what grief is, to see and acknowledge and to let go. And so with this time, we want to open up this door to be able to release or to be aware of any grief and sadness that was within us. But this is important, not to create grief and sadness that isn't there. The goal here isn't to make up being sad or to pretend to be sad, but just to be able to sit with ourselves and say, is there something that I need to grieve? Is there some sadness within me to acknowledge? And so what we want to do this morning, especially on Mother's Day, is that in the midst of Mother's Day, we know um, that there are many of here that we've lost our mom. We've lost our grandmother. That they're, they're not with us any long. Our great-grandmother. And one of the beautiful things about how all of us are, have come to be is we all came from a mom. We all came from a grandmother. We all came from a great-grandmother. That there is a long history and lineage of the deep sacrifice of nine plus months of creating and holding your life to foster and to support it. And that connection, that link to being held and loved and protected, that there can be a loss in how that connects to the past. And so what we wanted to do to kind of sit with that loss and to acknowledge it if it's, if it's there or just even the lineage that the stories that went before us that we no longer have access to face-to-face -face, is I saw an image um, from one of our youngest church members. Um, a six-year-old in our church drew this picture and I was so struck by it that we're going to use this as our image of contemplation. When she drew this image, and I know it could be hard for you to see in the back, 
She said, um, it's a reminder that even when people aren't with us anymore, we're all connected. And so she drew a picture of her family, and up in the clouds is great-grandma, who passed away two years ago. And then next to them is their dog, Charlie, and Charlie's mom, who isn't with us anymore. But the loss of the dog, the loss of great-grandmother, connects them and all this awareness. And so I want to be able to look at this image to be able to reflect on the connectivity of our lineage, of our moms and our grandmothers who have gone before us. And that there's parts of our own stories that we can be disconnected from. To sit with that, to sit with God, and to sit with the connection that works in between it all. We'll view the image and sit in silence. Acknowledge in this time that many of us have lost our moms, we've lost our grandmothers, we've lost our great-grandmothers. So God, we want to honor the lineage. God, we want to honor the source of our lives and God, the roles that our mothers and grandmothers have played in this. And God, in that, we see a picture of you that is deep and profound and truer than true. Of love that holds us, of love that creates a space for us to grow and to thrive. And God, some of us also grieve an image or a hope for our relationship with our mom or our grandmother that we don't have. And so God, in the midst of that, I would pray that we would be able to see and to recognize in our mourning the other places, God, where we have experienced the goodness of a mom, the support of a mom, the support of people in our lives who have loved us and supported us and walked with us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. In that, we want to, when we talk about Mother's Day, something that's challenging is coming up with what are we really saying when we celebrate Mother's Day? Because a lot of times we can say, well, we're acknowledging that some people have had children. But if that's all we meant by motherhood, we'd be missing a huge reality in our society. I wasn't just mothered by my biological mom. I was mothered and supported by so many. And so then you say, okay, so if it's not just actually having a child, it's this heart and this spirit that is present and nurturing and caring and loving. And then you say, wait, is that, that's only women? We don't want our men to do that as well? Okay, there's a, all right, there, maybe there's a deeply human thing to being present and loving and caring. And yet, if we move too far in that direction, it's like, well, but are we acknowledging the specific role of moms and what they do as well? In the midst of all that, I hope I just invite you into that tension. I don't have any resolution or answers. There isn't like, so this is what we do. But rather to say, the invitation for you to say, how do we honor this day and how do we stop and remember this day? And one um, kind of exercise I want to lead us in is um, we have this movement in our service we're practicing called a release of shame. 
And that basically that we have images of ourself, release of shame in particular is this image that I am bad. Not that I've made mistakes or I've done something, but there's something wrong with me at the core. Shame is that if you really got to know me, if you got to the core of who I am, you would found something that is not worthy of being loved or accepted. And the way we want to talk about it this morning is to think of kind of our cultural idea of what a mom is. If you go to like a a comedy show or an event or something like that and someone tells a joke or tells a story and one person claps or one person laughs, it's kind of a common throwaway joke for the person to be like, thanks mom. One of the things that's even true for me, my mother listens to every single podcast. So every sermon that I do and go here, my mom will call me or text me and like, I just listened to it. This is what I heard. This is what it is. And that's scary sometimes. Hi, mom. Hi, mom. I love you. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) But it's also deeply, deeply affirming that my mom is present with me even though we live a state apart from each other. And I remember discovering this really early on in my life. I was playing Legos with some friends. We were like six or seven years old. And I remember telling my friend, my mom thinks everything I do is awesome. And I was was annoyed. I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make something stupid out of Legos and see if my mom likes it. (laughs) So I remember I intentionally made like poorly something out of Legos. And I took it to my mom, like, Mom, look what I made. And she's like, aw, that's amazing, hon. <laughs> and then I was like, thanks, Mom. And I ran back into the other room with my friend. I'm like, it worked. She liked it. <laughs> Why I want to sit there, especially on Mother's Day, when it comes to release of shame is I think for many of us, we have a version of ourselves that we wish existed. We have the kind of person that creates something that's always worth being praised and loved. That we've never created or done something that's subpar. We've never parented subpar. We've never looked at ourselves at the end of the day and said, what kind of mother am I? What kind of father am I? What kind of person am I? What kind of employee am I? What kind of friend am I? And in those spaces, we feel this biblical, scriptural idea of the accuser is with us, saying, you're a fraud. You're a fraud. See, all those people think you're a good employee or a good spouse or a good parent or a good child or a good friend. But if they really knew you, if they saw this part of you, they'd know the truth. And what I want to invite us into this time is to acknowledge that that voice exists within us, but to hear the voice of a mother who receives and loves and is delighted in what we do and who we are. My mother's love for me and the thing I created in the Legos had nothing to do with what I made out of Legos. My mom was not Lego judging. (laughs) My mom was affirming me. You 
are good. You are good. And because you are good, what you create is worth acknowledgement and worth love. And I know that these are not messages we have always received from our mothers. And I know that these are not messages we've always received from our fathers. And so it takes intentionality to sit with a different voice. Not the voice that doesn't care. Not the voice that is just uniformly like everything's awesome, everything's great. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is to see and acknowledge your core identity as something that is good and lovely. And so how we want to step into this, when we talked about a release of shame, it's not, it needs to be embodied. It needs to be felt and experienced. And so how we want to hear that voice and receive that voice is through communion this morning. That as we come to the elements, we're not just taking a piece of bread and a little cup of juice, but we are receiving is a message of inherent goodness. You are enough. You are lovely. Who you are at the core. And as we take these items, my prayer is that you would see the bread, which ties back to remembering who Christ was, and that Jesus had this meal and said, every time you take this bread, do so in remembrance of me. A remembrance of Jesus is a remembrance of the totality of who Jesus was, not just his death on a cross. And so receiving that is the Jesus who said, let the person who's out sin throw the first stone. To receive the bread is to sit with the Jesus who after Peter had denied him three times, said, brought him back in, said, feed my sheep, said, you're back in the fold. To remember Jesus and to take this bread is to remember a God, a limitless, expansive God who came in human form and loved us and received us. And so how we practice it here is you'll come up the middle and all of you are invited both to come or to stay seated. And as you grab the bread and the cup and return back to your seat, you would take the bread individually. It's a sign of our individual relationship with God. And then we'll have a short time of prayer and we'll drink from the cup together. It's a sign of our unity and community in God. The hope is as you take the bread and as you take the cup, what you would be receiving is a God who looks at you and not just what you've done and says, you are lovely, and I'm rooting for you, and I'm listening to every podcast, and I'm showing up to every game and every sporting event, and I'm loving you and holding you and cheering you on all the way. Would you pray with me? God, there is a voice of shame within me. And God, I know for so many others in this room, there is a voice of shame that is louder and softer given the day, but is always present. And that voice accuses not just what we do and how we move in the world of not being enough, but accuses us at our very core. Our identity is not enough. God, I pray that we would hear another voice this morning. God, we would release 
that shame and we would take in the voice that says we are beloved. Not because of what we do or what we've done or what we will do, because of who we are. God, may that voice sink deep to the very core of our being. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand now and come to receive?
Would you pray with me? God, as we chew the bread, God, I pray that we would be chewing on your love, your acceptance of us at the very core. And God, in all the ways that I know I've rolled my eyes at a mom who loves and approves in seemingly undiscerning ways, God, I pray that I would Stop viewing my life through the lens of what I create and what I do as being good or bad. And instead, God, view the core of who you've created. And God, the core of every person in this room is good and lovely. God, may we meet ourselves today. And God, when we see someone that you love, may we view ourselves through the eyes of a loving mother. A God and loving mother who praises, celebrates, and enjoys who we are. And God, may we feel the shame melt away. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you take your cup? We'll drink together. One other note, um, as we continue, as we've been doing this new uh, liturgical movement, this is just the second week that we've done it, um, I just wanted to assure you that it won't always be this Kurt heavy, um, kind of moving through all the movements. And it's only because I'm bad at explaining things, um, but when I understand, I feel like I can do them. And so we're inviting more and more people. The reason for creating these different blocks and movements is so we can truly have a community of believers. Liturgy literally means the work of the people. And we want to have more than just one of our own six-year-old's drawings up. But we want to have all of us present and leading each other through these movements. So don't get used to this. I know I'm not. But with that said, I'm going to do the next part, okay? <laughs> <laughs> As part of our, our celebration of joy this, this morning, it's another movement we want to step into. As we sit with our grief and we hold that and we don't dismiss it or cover it, so we release our shame, we also want to hold on to this expression of joy. And I actually talked with someone this week that's like, this is, that's the hardest one for me, celebration of joy. Like, I can't get on board with those words. Um, and if you can, great. If you can't, maybe some other words that can be helpful for you is a celebration of wonder. That there's things outside of us that we don't know or we don't understand. Now, the core belief is that those are not terrifying monsters in the bushes, but good things. <laughs> that there's good things out there that we can be in wonder of and in awe of. Or maybe another word for joy, because we don't want to confuse joy for happiness, but is a deep abiding sense of peace within us. Happiness requires good circumstances. I can't be happy at a funeral, and nor should I. I can be happy in Disneyland, but I can experience joy in either of those settings. Because joy views all of life and all of life's circumstances and has a deep, abiding sense that there is still a God who is good, and there's still a God who is present. 
And so to that end, I wanted to look at a scripture this morning. If you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to look. We're going to look at John 19. And if you don't, no worries. We have the scripture we're going to look at on the screen. The, the setting of this, um, which is fitting after celebrating the Lord's Supper together, is that after Jesus is with the disciples, lets them know that he's going to be betrayed, that Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's put on trial all throughout the night, he's given one last shot with Pontius Pilate, who says, do we want to free this guy, or do we want to feel Barabbas, who actually killed a man? And the crowd is like, you know what? That Barabbas guy is actually doing something for the sake of the Jews. Let's let that Jesus guy die. Because he's doing these amazing things, but he's not doing what we want him to do. And so Jesus is ultimately led out and put on a cross, which was an intentional kind of murder, state-sanctioned murder, to display to everybody, this is what happens when you get on the wrong side of the Roman government. And we actually just looked at the seven last sayings of Jesus leading up to it. And what we want to look at this morning is one of them. That as Jesus is hanging on the cross in the Gospel of John, he looks down. And I want to read in John 19, 25 through 27. It says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Just to pause there. That's three Marys and a sister. Um, that's a lot of Marys. That's a Mary party. Like a tri-Mary tops? I don't know. That's... Hey, that's the right reaction. Thank you for that. What I really want to point out, especially on Mother's Day, is that in this scene and so many other scenes, and it's consistently the face of faithfulness in the story of Jesus is the women in the story. It's not the men. They're all gone. They're all in hiding. Peter's already done his denials, but the true faithfulness is present here at the cross. And in the resurrection, the disciples were all hiding. They wouldn't have known if the Marys hadn't gone to the tomb. This picture of faithfulness is present with Jesus, even in this moment. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Now that disciple language, we certainly do have one male here. This is John. And what's interesting about the gospel of John is the writing of this story is that John Um, Either if if John is the one actually writing this down or John's followers collected the kind of teachings and sayings of John, that John inserts himself in an interesting way. It's always the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I think there's one way of viewing this where we hear this and you're like, well, 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 look who thought so much of themselves. (laughs) But the other way of viewing it is that being in the presence of Jesus is to experience and feel that love so fully that it becomes your identity, that it becomes a way that you describe yourself, this disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, what's interesting about this is that when Jesus is on the cross and looks down and says, this is now your mother, this is now your son. 
It can be seen as kind of a, Jesus didn't leave a last will and testament. He had some business to kind of clean up right before he died. He's got to make some connections. But I think the true depth of what's going on is that Jesus is aware of our need to be connected to one another. And to simply say to be connected, hey, look after this person wasn't enough. That this language of family is the language that Jesus uses. A recognition of Mother's Day is a recognition of family, of a connectivity that goes deep. Some of us wish we didn't have the family we did. And you don't get a vote. Legally, it's set up that way. That's your parents. That's who you're connected to. And Jesus is using that kind of language. Now, while that language can be troublesome in some ways, the beauty of that kind of language is that it speaks to a kind of longevity of relationship that survives our feelings and emotions. At times, like the entirety of my teens, I didn't want my parents around. My mom would be like, let's go to the mall. I'm like, yeah. And I would be 10 feet behind her, fooling no one looking back. But at the time, I was like, they don't know I'm with her. (laughs) And yet, we were connected. We were linked. We were held together in something that was more than just my feelings or emotions in that moment. And I think this is the kind of bond that Jesus is inviting us to. That this word from the cross isn't just for his mom and John, it's for us. Not every word that Jesus spoken is written down in scripture. So when we pull the words of scripture, we're looking for the deep truths that resonate through the generations to us to say today to say, what's the invitation? And one of the reasons Why I think this is what Jesus is getting at is found in Matthew. Again, if you have your Bible, we'll look at Matthew 12. Earlier in the story, it's a story that kind of creates some troublesome images of Jesus. It says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mothers and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. And someone told him, your mothers and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. You ever notice how much the Bible repeats itself? It's like an interesting, it's always like, no, I got it the first time. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Again, there has been many times in my life where I'm like, Jesus is kind of rude. His mom and brothers just showed up. You don't diss them publicly we like, who are my mothers and brothers? I don't know. I kind of like you all that are here listening to me. They can go away. <laughs> but again, not every word that Jesus spoke is recorded. So the words that are recorded are meant because they were written to the next generation of people who were alive at that time. It was meant for us to hear what Jesus invitation is a deeper truth to say there's another family that is being formed here. There's a connection that we have to one another that pulls us away from being tribal. 
when I say tribal, what I mean was, what I mean is, when I grew up, having the last name Kroon meant that we had four families that lived within a two-mile radius of one another. My grandfather lived here, we lived there, my cousins and uncle lived there, and then my aunt lived right over here. And so I went to school with my brothers and my sisters and my cousins. We were like this gang that was always around. And there was this kind of loyalty to one another, that if someone was ever making fun of my cousin or they were talking about them, they couldn't do it in my presence. They'd be like, don't talk about my cousin that way. Don't talk about my family that way. They're a part of me. We're connected in that way. And that thought, that idea, I think is what Jesus is capturing and saying, that's actually good. But you extend it too literally. That kind of defense and awareness of the connectivity of us is beautiful, that you have mothers and brothers and cousins, and you can say things, but you don't get to say things about my family. And I think Jesus is intentionally opening up the doors to say, who are the people that you are loyal to? Who are the people that you'll defend? Who are the people that you hold on to? Here in this room. Here outside of this room. That we bring that same kind of loyalty to all people. Calling us not to gossip isn't about shaming us when we say something rude about someone else. It's getting to the core of, do you not see your connectivity to that person? Do you not see your linking to that person? Do you not see that person as your mother and your brother and your sister? What Jesus is inviting us on the cross is to see each other through a lens that most of us feel like we can't. It feels good to have bad people in the world because then I can be sure I'm not one of them. It feels good to have people that I'm like, they're rude, they're wrong, they think dumb things. I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's true. I love that. Because if they exist, then I can, and I can say, and they're not a part of my family, then I can assure myself that I am somehow better than that. But if they're my family... If they're my mother and my brother and my sisters, then my engagement with them has to look different. This Mother's Day, and not to make our celebration of mothers weak, but hopefully to make it even stronger, is that how do we engage the world? How do we see one another through a new lens? That it is not wrong to defend the people in our family, It's just wrong to define that too narrowly. Do we expand it broader? Do we want redemption and better from those who have wronged us and who have wronged other people in the world? Or do we just want punishment and exclusion? I think a lot of us talk about found family. And we look around and we see our friends and we're like, yeah, if I was standing at the cross with this person and Jesus is like, here you go. This is your mother. This is your brother. This is your son. I would be like, yes. And then there's other people. I would be like, who, me? (laughs) 
Yeah, me. And you and us. My deep prayer is that we would have, through the movement today, and not as a one-time movement, but as an ongoing thing, we would have received a love that comes from a mom. That motherly love and acceptance of who we are at the core because it knows us and helped create us. That we would take on that kind of energy with one another and we would receive it within ourselves as to who we are. And once we receive that, it is meant not just for us to consume, but it is meant for us to embody and to share. That when we look around the world, when we look at the person who cut us off in traffic, when we look at the person who brought 16 items to the 15 items or less line, we would say, here is your mother, here is your brother, here is your sister. And we'd feel a sense of connection and hope and love that would not be there otherwise. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and as I pray, I'm going to invite the band to come up. We're going to respond to this in song. And my invitation is that as um, the band sings and they lead us in worship, for you to engage in that in the way that is best for you to engage, if that is to sing along, great. If that's to read the words, great. If that's to sit and pray, amazing. You have permission to engage in the way that best helps you internalize and move forward the words of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for family. And God, may our definitions and understandings of family expand beyond biological. May expand beyond chosen. May it expand beyond town and neighborhood, city, state, country, hemisphere. God, may it extend to the whole world. That God, may the love and acceptance that you offer us take root deep. God, as it takes root deep, may it expand out of us. God, give us eyes that see mothers and brothers, sisters, sons. God, give us ears that hear your voice of love. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.